One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're talking about some big boys, some big, big boys, just like that song from the Rugrats movie way back when, when they were talking about sumo wrestlers. Of course, we're talking about the same game in the same vein, Shadow of the Colossus. Are you talking about... The Paris one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Man, that's, that's quite the throwback. <laughs> this is a game from, um, I'm sure, about that same era, a little bit after yeah, probably. the Rugrats Maybe. films. I think we had moved into DVD territory. No longer the orange VHS tapes, but yeah, Shadows, mm-hmm. Colossuses. They're shadows that they leave behind from being so big, so many of them. It's um, just like that very specific karaoke scene with the sumo guys in the Rugrats Paris movie with Angelica. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've seen that movie, but it's it's been a long time. Chucky talks. He says his first words. That's all I remember. The, the Finster. It's wild. It's the, wild. The so Finster, anyway, let's get Mr. back Finster on. Mr. Finster wants to get married again. There's like a new That's kid. True. This podcast has already gone way off the rails. I love it. All right, anyway, guys, it's been fun. So let's let's try and get over to <laughs> any semblance of what we're talking about. Go ahead, Derek. Let them know a little bit about it. We're talking about the 2005 action-adventure game Shadow of the Colossus, which was developed by Japan Studio and Team Eco and published by Sony Computer Entertainment for the PlayStation 2. It takes place in a fantasy setting and follows Wander a young man who enters an isolated and abandoned region of the realm, seeking the power to revive a girl named Mano. The player assumes the role of Wander as he embarks on a mission that might entail Mano's resurrection to locate and destroy the Colossi, 16 massive beings spread across the Forbidden Land, which the protagonist traverses by horseback and on foot. The game was directed by Fumito Ueda and developed at Sony Computer Entertainment's International Production Studio One, also known as Team Eco, the same development team responsible for the acclaimed PlayStation 2 title Eco, to which the game is considered a spiritual successor. Conceived as an online multiplayer game titled Nico directly after Eco's completion, Shadow of the Colossus underwent a lengthy production cycle, during which it was redeveloped as a single-player title. The team sought to create an outstanding interactive experience by including a distinct visual design, an unorthodox gameplay template, and non-player characters with sophisticated artificial intelligence 
such as the Colossi and Wander's Horse Agro. Cited as an influential title in the video game industry and one of the best video games ever made, Shadow of the Colossus is often regarded as an important example of video game as art, due to its minimalist landscape designs, immersive gameplay, and emotional rendition of the player character's journey. It received wide critical acclaim by the media and was met with strong sales compared to Eco, due in part to a larger marketing campaign. The game won several awards for its audio, design, and overall quality. A remastered version for the PlayStation 3 was released alongside Eco as The Eco and Shadow of the Colossus Collection in September 2011, developed by Bluepoint Games, who later produced a high-definition remake of Shadow of the Colossus for the PS4 in 2018. I wanted to take a little time to talk about Japan's studio because most of this is going to be focused on Team Eco, who obviously ran most of this. But Japan's studio is based in Tokyo and was founded on November 16th, 1993. It was formed shortly after the formation of the internal PlayStation division within Sony that included members from the Sony Corporation and the Sony Music Entertainment Groups, with Japan Studio developing some of the initial games to be released on the first PlayStation console. According to Shuhei Yoshida, at the onset, the studio was run similar to Sony's music business, with lead external producers seeking out creative talent and helping nurture them to help develop new games. Examples of these works include Parappa the Rapper by Masaya Matsura and Everybody's Golf by Masashi Muramori. Yoshida oversaw Japan's studio from 1996 through 2000. Yoshida started creating teams within Japan Studio and hired them. New games such as Ape Escape and The Legend of Dragoon came out from Yoshida's approach, as well as dedicated teams such as Team Eco for Eco and Polyphony Digital for Gran Turismo, which eventually was spun out as its own first-party developer for Sony. Alongside these first-party titles, the latter years of the original PlayStation saw strong third-party support with games like Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid. According to Yoshida, this led Sony into some complacency on relying on third-party games to support further consoles, and oversight and support for first-party games was less of a priority. Shadow of the Colossus is the second project of Team Eco, a group of staff members within Sony Computer Entertainment's International Production Studio One that was led by director Fumito Ueda and producer Kenji Kaido. The game originated from one of Ueda's concepts that he developed directly after the team submitted their debut title, Eco, released in late 2001 for Sony's PlayStation 2 for publication. As the basis of Team Eco's subsequent game had not been decided, Ueda examined a number of old ideas kicking around in his head, and quote, that couldn't be realized under previous circumstances. After a brief review of those avenues, Ueda chose to explore one that aligned with his own preferences as a game player. Ueda cited the Legend of Zelda series as an influence, as he grew up wanting to make a game like Zelda and design the Colossi bosses like inverted Zelda dungeons. Ueda envisioned a work with an underlying motif of cruelty as a means of expression. He felt that this theme was widely featured in contemporary titles such as Grand Theft Auto 3 and wanted to use it in a game that he designed. In a discussion with Kaido, Ueda observed that he had played a variety of video games, 
containing battles with large bosses that the player must shoot from a distance to defeat. You way to believe that the boss sequences of those games could be streamlined if the player character was able to approach and climb the oversized opponents to kill them with a close-range weapon. Accordingly, he chose to base the game around the player character's encounters with enormous fictional creatures, a premise that stemmed from Ueda's childhood fascination with monster movies. This led to an emphasis on the inclusion of a large-scale adventure in the title, an element which Ueda regarded as influential in the shaping of the game's stylistic identity. Originally, the team considered Ueda's idea alongside another concurrently developed game. According to Ueda, the game was unrelated to his former concept, and the team did not give it a working title or outline its design while it was in development. Ueda recognized the finished iteration of Team Eco's second title as, quote, in many ways, a game for boys and men. Conversely, the separately produced game was fashioned to appeal more to a female audience. Its contents, interface, and thematic focus differed significantly from those that would ultimately manifest in the team's next game after Eco. The untitled game did not employ 3D graphics, whereas Team Eco applied them to their published game. The team eventually scrapped their plans for a counterpart title to Ueda's intended game, which was advanced into further development. Prior to the start of the project, Team Eco assessed the opportunity to establish it as a sequel to their first game. This suggestion was opposed by certain staff members, who argued that the story and gameplay of the preceding title were largely self-contained, and that the existence of consumer demand for a new Eco game was questionable. According to Oeda, Team Eco assumed that the creation of levels for a single-player game akin to Eco necessitated the construction of elaborate puzzles, a practice that the staff wanted to askew. Following lengthy deliberations, they decided not to pursue a sequel to Eco and to produce a standalone game provisionally dubbed Nico, a portmanteau of Ni, two in Japanese, and Eco. The team initially agreed to develop Nico as an online multiplayer game that, unlike Eco, wouldn't require complex level design. Their foundational goal, according to Kaido, was to create a technology demo that represented a tentative rendition of the game's fictional world and features. Development commenced immediately after the December 2001 release of Eco's Japanese version. To develop the concept for Nico, Team Eco formed a small internal group which was composed of Ueda, one of Eco's designers, and a roughly 10-person animation team. Their objective was to deliver, quote, a movie with an extremely final form that could serve as a visual template for a finalized game. The first storyboard that outlined the video was drafted in January 2002, and the actual short film was completed that May. It depicted a group of three masked, horned boys who rode horseback across a vast landscape and attacked a towering being reminiscent of the second boss in Shadow of the Colossus. The video was visualized and the Eco game engine was rendered in real time on the PlayStation 2 hardware. With those techniques, the team aimed to estimate the extent to which the platform's capabilities allowed the realization of their vision. According to Kaido, the team deemed the resulting video to have attained a very high level of completion, 
and thus was able to use it as a reference point throughout the game's production. Although they subsequently modified the game's visuals from those of the demonstration reel, its themes of fighting a giant enemy and exploring a giant field carried over into the final game design. The demo indicated elements that were excluded from the released game. Among these was a showcased gameplay mechanism wherein one of the Colossus attackers who had scaled and killed it proceeded to mount his approaching horse by leaping onto its back from the entity's corpse. The video was later exhibited at many trade shows, such as the 2006 Dice Summit in Las Vegas, where Kaido and Ueda retrospectively discussed the game's development with Lorne Lanning. In June 2002, a small group of staff at Team Eco started to build a prototype of Nico for testing purposes. In his role as producer, Kaido tasked the team with the inclusion of technical features that he recognized as important milestones of the development. One of the challenges issued by Kaido involved the creation of organic collision deformation, a term that alluded to his concept of realistic character physics in relation to the movement of the colossi. For instance, if a colossus's limb was currently horizontal, Kaido expected the player to be able to run across the limb as though it were any other flat surface. Ueda and Team Eco programmers spent over six months to produce a working version of this functionality. They began by adding a character to a virtual environment where the figure was enabled to climb a pole-like object. One of the team's priorities at the time was to code a physics-based simulation of scenarios where characters were being shaken off or narrowly avoiding being stomped on. In May 2003, Team Eco assembled a demonstrational build of Nico and presented it at a production meeting. Full development of the game was sanctioned directly after it was pitched and commenced in the same month. That year, the Nico technology demo was shown across Sony's foreign offices among a lineup of prospective PlayStation 2 titles, and its exposure excited the spectators. Although the team attempted to work on the game in secrecy, at a certain point, images of Nico's horse-riding characters were leaked onto the internet. Their circulation led enthusiasts to speculate about what they perceived as a sequel to Eco. According to Oeda, the team reused elements of Eco's character designs for Nico to expedite the production of the concept video and minimize its costs. He asserted that Nico was not related to Eco despite their stylistic similarities and that his colleagues did not identify the former game as a sequel. However, contemporary and retrospective sources describe Team Eco's second game as both a spiritual successor and prequel to Eco. The staff used player feedback to advance the testing of the organic collision deformation system by inputting simple objects to experiment its capabilities. Although Team Eco had conducted an elaborate research of the game's technological framework, they did not finish its validation when they entered the production phase. After evaluating the limited number of personnel that was involved with Nico as well as their professional profiles, Team Eco concluded that they were not qualified to deliver an online-only game. They then resolved to abandon that direction and to reformulate Nico into a single-player title. The team discarded Eco's development tools that they had used at the outset of the project 
and moved to write new programming utilities. Relatedly, they opted to create a dedicated game engine for the title in lieu of that from Eco. While the staff had intended to reuse the development practices that they had employed in Eco to proceed with Nico, the departure from the technology of the older game meant that its successor was built almost from the ground up again. After a lengthy preparatory phase, the game's production began in September 2003. Publisher SCEI gave the project a greater amount of development time, funding, and creative freedom in comparison to the resources of the Eco team measures that arose from the company's recognition of that game's critical success. Kaido also noted that he and Ueda endeavored to expand the production with newly recruited staff. They sought out prospective collaborators, particularly artistic specialists, through job advertisements they had distributed across the Japanese trade media and via word-of-mouth publicity. From a pool of 500 applicants, 10 were subsequently enlisted to work on the game, However, Ueda felt that only one or two satisfied his criteria, as he expected every facet of the title to be as well-crafted as possible. Kaido's concern during production was to guarantee Team Eco's ability to meet their schedule and budget commitments while ensuring that they had the opportunity, quote, to create everything Ueda was aiming for within the amount of time we had. Kaido remarked that his colleagues needed to start transitioning into full production as they had devoted extensive efforts to the preparation of the game's technology. Initially, the team was unable to ascertain the level of sophistication with which they could materialize their ideas in the game. Character designer Shinpei Suzuki recalled that they started to develop the game in an experimental fashion and made progress through trial and error. As the team began, the designers issued instructions that outlined the programmable properties of the Colossi enemies, along with the means of their defeat, in that they were meant to be gradually implemented into the title. The process in which the staff attempted to introduce those concepts typically led them to encounter problems with their realization, which entailed a revision of previously submitted work. According to Kaido, During the development of the Colossi, the team struggled to choreograph certain motions of the enemies in line with the expectations of personnel. To remedy this defeat, Team Eco reworked their original programming solution that animated the movements of the Colossi in the game. Suzuki described the team's early accomplishments as empirical. In the aforementioned period, the staff would routinely test and adjust the game's anticipated components until confirming them to function properly. To plan out the design of the game's visual elements, Ueda used 3D computer graphics software instead of sketching them on paper. His rationale was that the necessity to transform the hand-drawn artwork into polygonal shapes in the latter case would cause the reproduced assets level of detail to be vastly reduced from that of the source images. In defining the inclusion of the game's environments, Ueda outlined his suggestions to the team's scenery designers, who then worked to apply them to the title. After the locations of the individual colossi were visualized in the game's engine, the group began to compose the game's setting by adding intermediary areas between the enemy's layers. During development, the size of the game would frequently change as the team reorganized the connective material. 
environmental designer Koji Hasegawa noted that the scenery graphics were drastically reworked on several occasions because Ueda urged him and his colleagues to reinforce the light tones in the coloring of the areas and to accentuate the brightness and the saturation of the textures. Like Eco, the game displays a distinct style of lighting. The game engine utilizes elements such as desaturated colors, motion blur, and partial high dynamic range rendering, and it places heavy emphasis on bloom lighting. As Team Eco operationalized the game's physics-oriented features, they continued to refine them with reference to the Eco-inspired character designs from the Nico concept video. After the systems that modeled the players' interactions with the Colossi and generated the game world were established, the team integrated the human models from the prior versions of the game into a newly designed singular figure. The necessity for the protagonist to freely traverse a 3D space prompted the team to abandon the presentational format of Eco, whose gameplay is viewed from a fixed perspective, and to introduce a camera system with a third-person view of the character. After the inclusion of the player character's ability to perform climbing maneuvers, the team enabled the game to alter his physical response to instances of falling from a moving colossus. The reaction would vary depending on the distance that the protagonist's body traveled to the landing point. According to Ueda, the moment when he saw the actual effect of that simulation led him to believe that the project offered an exceptional play experience when compared to preceding video games. Character animation is accomplished via keyframe animation. The game simulated physics in inverse schematics, or IK, a method derived from the field of robotics. Some of the game's characters are procedurally animated. This technique is sparsely used due to the limited computational capacity of the PlayStation 2. While the basic movements of the character models were animated by hand, their physical interactions are simulated in real time by the game's physics engine. The generated data is input to the IK system to animate the joints of a model and, by extension, its entire body. In the process, the system estimates the displacement, angle, and the direction of the finalized motion, and the model is positioned in the environment according to these calculations. As a result, predefined animations are blended with physical effects to create lifelike character movement. For example, the player character behaves like a swinging pendulum as he hangs onto a colossus while it tries to dislodge him. As applied to the protagonist's horse, the technology enables the character to adjust its posture when on uneven surfaces for added realism, a feature that extends to the Colossi. With regard to the Colossi, Team Eco were keen to ensure that their motions were plausible and strove to accurately convey the massiveness and energy level of the creatures. The Colossi were programmed to react to the occurrence of specific player-driven events within one of the sensor areas set by the artificial intelligence of the enemies across their surrounding territory. For example, if the player character is at ground level and approaches an armed colossus from the front, the creature brandishes its weapon against him. As opposed to a hard-coded program, the colossi's AI could be fine-tuned for each of the game's scenes. Team Eco also developed AI-enabled movement algorithms for the protagonist's horse, which was conceived as a realistic representation of its real-life counterparts. 
This solution allows the horse to occasionally ignore the player's commands and to be proactive in order to avoid visible sources of danger within its surroundings. However, Ueda admitted that the team had to seek a balance and how often aggro did not respond to player input so as to not sacrifice playability in the pursuit of realism. Kaido admitted that Team Eco's ambitions for the game were partly unimplementable with the PlayStation 2 hardware, and that the team lost sight of the cardinal rules of game design several times during production. One of the issues that caused them to discard assets already added to the game was the variety of the colossi. Ueda initially intended to incorporate 48 colossi in Nico, but their number was afterwards reduced to 24 when he concluded that his former vision was unrealizable. Eventually, Ueda settled on the released game's 16 beings due to a concern that the game would not achieve the desired quality level if the previous number of the colossi was maintained. To choose the colossi that were negligible, Team Eco estimated their level of completion at the time and the degree of overlap between the anticipated method of defeating a given entity and a strategy reserved for another enemy. Other omitted elements of the game include a two-player gameplay mode, excluded due to insufficient development time, as well as a simulation of a full-day cycle and weather variations, excised because of problems that Ueda attributed to the PlayStation 2's memory capability. Despite the design-related difficulties, Kaido remarked that the staff managed to reaffirm their creative priorities repeatedly after they had consulted the Nico technology demo. As the time passed, the development proved to be a strenuous endeavor for the staff, and fan expectations for Team Eco's second game placed them under pressure to surpass their past work in Eco. The team's morale was challenged by Ueda's perfectionistic tendencies, as he was often demanding in his request for revisions of the game's components. According to both him and Kaido, Ueda's insistence on exercising personal supervision over the artistic facets of the development was a factor in the emergence of the setbacks that the team encountered as they continued to work on the game. Thomas Wilbor of the Swedish gaming magazine Level afterward commented that Ueda's hands-on role in the creation of his games was evidence of his familiarity with every aspect pertinent to their development, and that Ueda was able to command the respect of individual personnel because of that personal quality. At the height of production, Ueda stayed in the office after hours to make progress in contributing content to the game. Kaido also refused to leave work early when he felt it necessary to provide other team members who worked overtime with moral support. Kaido commended the staff's dedication in retrospect, as he believed that their output allowed Team Eco to stick to the schedule in the end, despite the reductive alterations that the game had undergone over the course of its production. In late 2004, following two years of development during which Nico was listed on Sony's internal schedules, for forthcoming products under that respective name, Team Eco changed the game's designation to its final Japanese title. SCEI's European branch was determined to publish the game under the name Eco 2 in its associated regions. However, Sony Computer Entertainment America proposed that the game's original title, translated as Wanda and the Colossus, be rebranded as Shadow of the Colossus for a North American release. 
In naming the game, Ueda intended to move away from the abstract title of Eco to a simpler and more straightforward product name. This resulted in the game's native title, which offered greater public appeal and clarity than that of Eco, and was striking from the perspective of Japanese consumers. Shadow of the Colossus was unveiled in early September 2004, along with Genji, Dawn of the Samurai, via an announcement on the official Japanese PlayStation website. On September 10th, SCEI held an official press conference where the Shadow of the Colossus was presented by Ueda and Kaido to Japanese trade journalists. The event was accompanied by a live orchestral performance of selected music from the game's soundtrack, which drew interested visitors to the showcase. Later that month, a trailer of Shadow of the Colossus was revealed at the 2004 Tokyo Game Show, where Sony alluded to the game's tentative release date in the next year. At an internal meeting in February 2005, Team Eco decided to monitor player feedback to the unveiling of Shadow of the Colossus in an effort to correct the game's deficiencies. That April, Sony announced the game's American title, and by the next month, Western video game-oriented media outlets such as GameSpot and 1UP.com had received a pre-release playable version of Shadow of the Colossus and reported their early impressions about the game. Also in May, the same version of the game, estimated by a Japanese online news source to be at 60% of completion by that point, was exhibited at E3 2005, and, according to Edge, attracted heavy crowds, all clamoring to get their hands on and heads around its sheer enormity. However, several spectators complained about the low frame rate of the title, and Andrew Vestal of Electronic Gaming Monthly, commenting on the game's status in a preview, cited problems that pertain to its collision detection. Ueda later admitted the existence of several flaws in the design of Shadow of the Colossus. At the same time, he had asserted that the staff's adherence to the central ideas that they had envisioned meant that the game's elements eventually coalesced into a coherent product. By July 2005, Team Eco entered the last phase of Shadow of the Colossus's development. They had pledged to improve the game's frame rate and work to optimize its physics engine and the rendering of the game world. Ueda noted that the finished version of the organic collision deformation technology differed drastically from the iteration that the team originally developed. SCEI demonstrated Shadow of the Colossus at the 2005 Tokyo Game Show to a positive reception, and Joe Kirian of IT Media reported that a long line of attendees queued up near the game's exposition stand at the venue. Ueda told Eurogamer after the convention ended that Team Eco deemed the game to be a pretty much fixed as it is, and that they did not have plans to supplement the game with new content. Although they had repeatedly missed deadlines and exceeded budget limitations, Kaido thought that the implementation of the game's major features instilled pride in his colleagues. According to Ueda, Shadow of the Colossus ultimately involved a 40-person team. After three and a half years of development, Team Eco completed the Japanese and North American versions of Shadow of the Colossus in September 2005. For Shadow of the Colossus, Team Eco adopted a more sophisticated template for their creative process than Eco's principal idea of design by subtraction. Under the latter approach, they removed the title's integrated elements that detracted players from its reality. 
Ueda felt that Eco's analogous structure to an adventure game resulted in its limited interactivity, and he wanted Shadow of the Colossus to be more player-driven by comparison. To that end, he sought to ensure that the game provided players with agency both sporadically, in that they would be able to trigger in-game scenarios by their own efforts, and on an overarching scale, by the creation of emergent solutions to the gameplay. Furthermore, the player can manipulate the camera during cutscenes, a functionality designed to maintain the impression of controllability, and therefore the consumer's interest in those otherwise self-directed segments of the game. At the same time, Ueda strove to make the title accessible to people who did not play video games by simplifying its controls and other components. Kaido and Ueda aimed to challenge the contemporary trends of the video game industry, and they thus fashioned the battles with the boss-like Colossi characters as an unconventional rendition of video game levels. The quality of the battles with the Colossi was of critical importance to Ueda, who saw them as an outgrowth of his appreciation for boss fights in video games as a player. During development, the team considered including fights with smaller enemies beyond the Colossi and with optional Colossi you wouldn't need to defeat in the game. Those suggestions were rejected due to Ueda's belief that the title's play value would not benefit from those confrontations. Relatedly, Shadow of the Colossus was made exclusive of human non-player characters, although the team placed discoverable small-sized animals in the game per Ueda's specifications. The creation of the Colossi as the focus of the game's separate segments required Team Eco to provide input across disciplines. The ensuing distribution of duties between the title's artists, animators, programmers, and designers meant that they needed to make their contributions to the game intercompatible so as not to engender design issues. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ueda wanted the game's presentation to be outstanding and to exhibit the density of a painting. He visited geographical landmarks of the western United States, such as the Grand Canyon and Death Valley, to seek inspiration for the game's setting. The modeling of the game's environments, whose arrangements stemmed from independently constructed battlegrounds tied to each of the colossi, followed a pattern that Koji Hasegawa described as a repeating cycle of creating, testing, and tuning. The team initially struggled to carry out Oeda's instructions for the shaping of the scenery and altered the game's locations frequently so as to find a satisfactory design for the setting. After researching several visual arts genres, Team Eco crafted a distinct graphical style that utilized both grayish and light color tones to underscore the game's ambiance, identified by Ueda as firm feeling. This aesthetic was exemplified by the game mechanics of searching the setting for the Colossi, which came from Ueda's desire to determine a straightforward and visually defined reference for the player. He remarked that the game's completed graphics, as well as its gameplay principles, were produced similarly to those of Eco as an invocation of stylistic parallels between the two titles. 
Among the game's characters, the appearance of the human personalities was established prior to that of the Colossi. According to Oeda, Wander and Mono, while fitting the literary trope of a little boy and a little girl, were not meant to occupy archetypal roles, and the team attempted to foster a cool image in molding Wander's gestures. The Colossi's design was derived from that of the gameplay, and was meant to invoke a simultaneous sense of peculiarity and realism while not indicating their true nature. Ueda was keen to achieve a convincing depiction of the Colossi's scale, which was underlined by the addition of a climbable fur surface to the creatures. However, the complexity of the game's physics engine meant that the faster Colossi needed to be smaller as well. Another concern for Ueda was to materialize a unique connection between the Colossi, as NPCs, and the game's audience, by ensuring that victory over an enemy evoked a conflicted sensation in the player. In exploring this aspect, Ueda combined a scene that portrayed the death of a colossus with a melancholic song from a film soundtrack. He presented the edited sequence to the staff, who burst out laughing. To have a scene like that seemed like a mistake to them. Nevertheless, Ueda resolved to carry the idea over to the rest of the Colossi battles, which he asserted to be a well-judged choice after he had asked players to voice their opinions on that matter. While Eco's plot is told partly through dialogue, Shadow of the Colossus avoids that narrative device and relies more on nonverbal storytelling. Ueda strove to clearly characterize the game's setting within the constraints of the target platform and thus devised a simple storyline for the title. As part of his approach to the game's environmental design, Ueda emphasized the motif of a lonely hero in the game, in keeping with the atmosphere of Eco. Ueda explained that his design practices, together with the technological limitations of the time, meant that he favored characters that live inside their own heads instead of having complicated relationships with other characters. At the same time, he was interested in the concept of companionship between an AI-controlled character and the player. This led him to construct a partnership between Wander and Agro, reminiscent of the connection between Eco's titular hero and Yorda, an NPC. Based in part on Ueda's own experiences in horse riding, the team prepared a detailed set of maneuvers that Wander could execute in concert with Agro, and gave Agro a crucial supportive role during gameplay. Kaido was especially satisfied with Agro's implementation, and Ueda was inspired by the interplay between the horse and the protagonist to focus his following game, The Last Guardian, on a similar relationship. Presented through a minimalistic narrative, Shadow of the Colossus eschews disclosure of detailed information about the backstories and interrelationships of its characters to the player. The game takes place in a fantasy world, wherein a vast and unpopulated peninsula, known as the Forbidden Land, serves as the main setting for the game's events. Separated from the outside realm by a distant mountain range to its north and sea to the south and east, the area contains ruins and remnants of ancient structures, an indication that it had formerly been a settlement. The only point of entry to the region is a small cleft in the mountains to the north that leads to a massive stone bridge. This bridge spans half the distance of the landscape and terminates at a large temple called the Shrine of Worship located at its center. 
It is, however, forbidden to enter the land, which includes diverse geographical features such as lakes, plateaus, canyons, caves, and deserts, in addition to human-made structures. Now, as we take a breath going through our development cycle of this, I know this isn't necessarily a narrative-driven game per se, but I do want to talk about the plot and kind of who is Wander. So as the game begins, Wander enters the Forbidden Land and travels across a long bridge on his horse, Agro. After they reach the entrance to the Shrine of Worship, Wander, who has carried with him the body of Mono, brings her to an altar in the temple. A moment later, several humanoid shadow creatures appear and approach Wander before he easily dismisses them with a wave of the ancient sword in his possession. After the shadow creatures are vanquished, the disembodied voice of Dormin manifests within the shrine and expresses surprise at the fact that Wander possesses the weapon. Wander explains the plight that led him to seek the Forbidden Land and asks that Dormin return Mono's soul to her body. Dorman offers to grant Wander's request under the condition that he completes a rite designed to destroy the 16 idols lining the temple's hall. To that end, Wander must use his sword to slay each of the idols' physical incarnations, the Colossi, whose presence ranges across the vast expanse outside the temple. Although warned by Dorman that he may have to pay a great price to revive Mono, Wander sets out to search the land for the Colossi and destroy them. An aspect of Wander's mission that is unknown to him is that the Colossi contain portions of Dorman's own essence, scattered long ago to render the entity powerless. As Wander kills each Colossus, a released fragment of Dorman enters his body. Over time, the signs of Wander's deterioration from the gathered essence start to appear. His skin becomes paler, his hair darker and his face is increasingly covered by dark veins. The outcome of the battle with the 12th Colossus leads to a reveal of a group of warriors that has been pursuing Wander, led by Eamon. Urged to hurry with his task by Dorman, Wander soon heads off to defeat the 16th and final Colossus. On the way to this confrontation, he rides horseback across a long bridge, which begins to collapse as he is halfway across, but Agro manages to throw Wander over to the other side before falling into the distant river below. Soon after, Wander goes on to defeat the final Colossus as Eamon's company arrives in the Shrine of Worship to witness the last temple idol crumble. Wander appears back in the temple soon after, the signs of his corruption readily apparent. His skin is pallid, his eyes glow silver, and a pair of tiny horns have sprouted from his head. Eamon recognizes him as a transgressor who, in an event that occurred before Wander's journey to the Forbidden Land, stole the ancient sword with which he killed the Colossi. Eamon orders his warriors to kill the possessed man as he approaches Mono, and finally falls once stabbed through the heart by one of Eamon's men. However, a newly whole doorman takes control of Wander's body and transforms into a shadowy giant. While his men flee, Lord Eamon casts the ancient sword into a small pool at the back of the temple's hall to evoke a whirlwind of light. The supernatural vortex consumes Dorman and Wander, which seals Dorman within the temple once again. As Eamon and his warriors escape, the bridge that leads to the temple collapses behind them, and its destruction forever isolates the Forbidden Land from the rest of the world. 
Although he has condemned Wander for his actions prior to their encounter, Eamon expresses hope that Wander may be able to atone for his crimes one day, should he have survived. Back in the temple, Mono awakens and finds Agro limping into the temple with an injured hind leg. Mono follows Agro to the pool into which Wander and Dorman were pulled by Eamon's spell, where she finds a male infant with tiny horns on his head. Mono takes the child with her, following the horse to higher levels of the Shrine of Worship, and arrives at a secret garden within the shrine as the game ends. So, I mean, for being a game that's not necessarily story-driven, pretty cool story. Pretty cool kind of like anti or kind of not really redemption arc, but kind of a trick. Definitely makes it interesting to like talk about those portions of wanting it to be that quasi like, "Mm, should we be killing these or not? So done pretty well. Now, when we talk about the music and sound, the development of Shadow of the Colossus' music started alongside that of the game itself. Ueda's core idea was to use a dynamic and gallant score in the game, akin to traditional Hollywood film music. The team's goal with the soundtrack of Shadow of the Colossus, as with Eco, was to differentiate it from conventional video game music, and to express restraint with regards to emotional expression as much as possible. Inspired by the opening theme from Silent Hill, Ueda also intended the soundtrack to reflect a melancholic ambience, as well as the history of the game's setting, based on the narrative's elements of death and resurrection. His other objective was to provide the game with compositions that adopted an elevated and dignified tone to underline the grandiose nature of the Colossi. The soundtrack was composed by Kao Otani, who had been previously responsible for the music to the 1990s-era Gamera films and a number of anime titles. Within the video game medium, his past work consisted of the soundtracks to the PlayStation 2 flight simulator Sky Odyssey and the PlayStation scrolling shooter Philosoma. In selecting the composer of the game, Ueda sought to deviate from the conceptual perspective of the score for Eco written by Mikiro Oshima. Unlike Ico, which Ueda saw as a game that equally attracted male and female audiences, he saw Shadow of the Colossus as a work that appealed more to male players. This led Ueda to hire a male composer for the game. The versatility of Otani's musical output and his understanding of folk instruments were further factors in his recruitment by Ueda. Otani began work on Shadow of the Colossus at the time of its inception as Nico, and Ueda characterized the soundtrack's development as difficult due to the protracted creation of its associated game. The development staff's enthusiasm in bringing the game to completion motivated Otani to deliver tracks with which he meant to convey a sense of wonder, and he drew inspiration from the portrayal of Wander's determination to revive Mono in the game. The team worked with Otani through many meetings to develop satisfactory musical themes for the game's individual colossi. According to Ueda, one of the challenges of the music's production was to incorporate compositions whose melody and structure would adapt in response to the changing circumstances of gameplay events. Although the game has an extensive orchestral soundtrack, the music is mostly heard during Colossus encounters beyond which the game's setting is underscored by more subtle sounds of water and wind. The open nature of Shadow of the Colossus's locations and their lack of life, coupled with the restrained use of music in the game, reinforces its atmosphere of solitude, 
analogous to that of Eco. Team Eco wanted to bring a unique sound and feel to each of the players' confrontations with the Colossi. At the time that Nico's technology demo was developed, Team Eco used available sample music. Once those materials had undergone in-company review and had been finalized, the staff invited Otani to see the prototype as a means to communicate the game's direction to the composer. He then worked on the music for the game's discrete segments from the concepts submitted by the team via artwork and storyboards for the game's isolated scenes. Otani was repeatedly asked by Ueda to rewrite his compositions so that the team was able to use them in particular configurations that were compliant with the game's technical specifications. Otani felt that the assembled soundtrack was imbued with a cinematic quality. On December 7, 2005, an album containing music from the game was released only in Japan, titled Wanda and the Colossus' original soundtrack, Roar of the Earth. After the release of Shadow of the Colossus, Ueda stated his appreciation for Otani's work in the game. Ueda was especially fond of the music that accompanied the game's finale, a series of phrases that had been extracted by Otani from each of the score's other tracks and remixed into a new recording. Although parts of that composition perplexed Ueda at first, he became convinced that it was a really cool way to use the game's music after familiarizing himself with the result. Following a July 15, 2005 news release where SCEI confirmed the publication date for the Japanese version of Shadow of the Colossus, the company divulged details about the limited first-run edition of the game, which players could only acquire by pre-ordering on August 19th of that year. On September 12, 2005, SCEI revealed that it had secured an arrangement to distribute the game through 7-Elevens, Japanese chain of convenience stores. The companies launched a promotional campaign. Consumers who pre-ordered the game at one of the 7-Elevens retail outlets would receive stylized bookmarks, whose designs incorporated artwork from Shadow of the Colossus. On October 7, 2005, several weeks before the game was demonstrated at the 2005 Akihara Entertainment Festival in Tokyo, Dengeki PlayStation's online news service reported that the custom copies of the game bundled with thematic memorabilia would be available for purchase at the event. Branded merchandise, such as calendars, posters, and t-shirts, was also sold in the Akihara district on the occasion, and a promotional image featuring a colossus was placed on a billboard in the area. Unlike Eco, Shadow of the Colossus received far more exposure, in part because of Sony's willingness to leverage its resources for a massive advertising campaign. It was advertised in game magazines, on television, and via online resources, such as SCEI's affiliated websites, for instance. In November 2004, the game's soundtrack was partially made available for listening on the game's official webpage. Shadow of the Colossus was released in Japan on October 27, 2005, at a list price of 7,140 yen. The limited edition of Shadow of the Colossus, distributed through pre-ordering, contained a different packaging from the standard edition. Promotional videos that had been screened at the game's initial September 2004 unveiling, E3 2005, and the 2005 Tokyo Game Show, and production footage of Niku. The edition's content also consisted of unpublished screenshots, storyboards, and video materials from various periods of the game's development. Prior to its domestic launch, Shadow of the Colossus had been released in North America on October 18, 2005, 
accompanied by a nationwide advertising campaign that ran across multiple mediums. The PAL version of the game was released in February 2006, and much like the PAL release for Eco, the game came in cardboard packaging displaying various pieces of artwork from the game. It contained four art cards. The game also came with a making of documentary, a trailer for Eco, and a gallery of concept art accessible from the game's main menu. Sony Computer Entertainment also re-released Eco in PAL territories at the time of Shadow of the Colossus's release both to promote the game through Eco's reputation and to allow players who did not buy Eco during its original limited release to complete their collections. A PlayStation 3 remastered version of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus was announced at Tokyo Game Show 2010 and released in September 2011 under the title The Eco and Shadow of Colossus Collection. Developed by Bluepoint Games, both were improved graphically to take advantage of the PS3's hardware and HDTVs with numerous other improvements implemented. The updated re-release of Shadow of the Colossus features high-definition graphics, content previously missing from the North American release, PlayStation Network trophies, and 3D support. The HD version was released separately in Japan. Sony also announced a remake of Shadow of the Colossus for the PlayStation 4 during their E3 2017 press conference. It was released on February 6, 2018. The remake is led by Bluepoint, who developed the earlier PS3 remaster. The developers remade all of the game's assets from the ground up, but the game retains the same gameplay from the original title along with the introduction of a new control scheme. Ueda had since left Sony, but provided a list of recommended changes to Bluepoint for the remake. He stated that he does not believe many of them will be implemented, nor would they add any of the colossi that had been cut from the original game. And in April of 2009, so jumping back a bit, it was reported that Sony Pictures would adapt Shadow of the Colossus into a film. Kevin Misher, producer of The Scorpion King, The Interpreter, and the recently attempted remake of Dune, negotiated to produce. It was announced that Fumito Ueda would be involved in the film's production. On May 23, 2012, it was reported that Chronicle director Josh Trank would be directing the film adaptation. Seth Lockheed was due to write the film. In September 2014, Variety reported that MAMA director Andreas Muschietti would direct the film after Trank dropped out due to scheduling conflicts with other projects. And unfortunately, like most video game movie adaptations that were attempted to come out in the 2000s, it just fell into development hell. But fingers crossed, now that they're doing better, we may get a Colossi film. Mm. My fingers aren't crossed. <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus has been cited as an influence on various video games, including God of War 2, God of War 3, Titan Souls, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Death's Gambit, Pray for the Gods, and Elden Ring. Film director Guillermo del Toro considers both Eco and Shadow of the Colossus as masterpieces and part of his directorial influence. Shadow of the Colossus is also cited numerous times in debates regarding the art quality and emotional perspectives of video games. The game plays a significant role in the 2007 Mike Binder film Reign Over Me as one of the ways Adam Sandler's character copes with his primary struggle, with aspects of the game mirroring the tragedy that befell Sandler's character. 
Shadow of the Colossus, Falling Giants, mirroring the crashing towers of the September 11 attacks in which his wife and children died. And the game's lead character trying to resurrect his deceased love are two of the main themes which strike a similarity. Sandler is said to have ad-libbed a detailed description of the control scheme in a scene with Don Cheadle, who plays his old friend. Both actors are said to have become experts at the game during the filming. Now, Shadow of the Colossus's commercial reception was positive, with sales of 140,000 copies in its first week at retail in Japan, reaching number one in the charts. Almost 80% of the initial Japanese shipment was sold within two days. These figures compare favorably with Eco, which was well-received by critics, but failed to sell a significant number of units. The game was placed on Sony's list of greatest hits titles on August 6, 2006. Shadow of the Colossus received critical acclaim, with an average critic score of 91% at game rankings, making it the 11th highest rated game in 2005. The game received strong reviews from publications such as the Japanese magazine Famitsu, who rated it with their weird score of 37 out of 40, the UK-based Edge, who awarded an 8 out of 10, and Electronic Gaming Monthly, who granted 8.8 out of 10. GameSpot's review gave it an 8.7, commenting that the game's aesthetic presentation is unparalleled by any standard, while multimedia website IGN hailed the game as an amazing experience and an absolute must-have title, rating it a 9.7 out of 10. GameSpy described it as possibly the most innovative and visually arresting game of the year for the PS2. A retrospective Edge article described the game as a fiction of unquestionable thematic richness, of riveting emotional power, whose fundamental artistic qualities are completely fused with its interactivity. Dave Sicarico, a literature lecturer at the University of Otago, praised the game for its use of long cutscenes and stretches of writing to make the player engage in self-reflection and feel immersed in the game world. Many reviewers consider the game's soundtrack to be one of its greatest aspects. In addition to Electronic Gaming Monthly's award of Soundtrack of the Year, GameSpot commented that the musical score conveyed and often intensified the mood of any given situation, while it was described as one of the finest game soundtracks ever by a reviewer from Eurogamer. However, the game has been criticized for its erratic frame rate, which is usually smooth while traversing the landscape, but often slows down in fast-paced situations such as the Colossus battles. Concern was also expressed about the game's camera, which was described by GameSpy as being as much of an opponent as the Colossi, managing to recenter itself at the worst and most inopportune times. Reviewers are often mixed about Agro's AI and controls. Edge commented that the controls were clumsy, crude, and unpredictable. Other critics like Game Revolution and GameSpot felt the game was too short, which the average playthrough time estimated to be 6 to 8 hours long, with little replay value given the puzzle elements to each Colossus battle. So, let's all take a quick break, take a breath in, breath out. There was a lot to this episode to take in. Um, and I definitely want to include a lot of this, even though it, it is meaty, it is girthy to the information, just because I wanted to talk about what really took this development cycle to happen. Um, so much of what went into this created this amazing game we see today, 
And I want us to take the time now, uh, Derek, of course, to tell the people, why did we choose Shadow of the Colossus and what do we think of it? Yeah, so I, I obviously there was a lot of material and a lot of things that can be said about this. But I think the best way to start it off is that, well, it spans three consoles. And there's a, a reason for that. Yes. Because it's a very well-received game. Yeah. You know, it came out on PlayStation 2. Got a, not just a remaster, but then also got like a, a remake for the PS4. And all of those have been really well-received. I mean, if I had to give this a score, I just want to go up front. 37 out of 40. Oh, well, of course. That's that's the way. <laughs> that's the way. I mean, that's 40 the point new, system. that's the most... <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, on my forty my forty point system here. <laughs> um, yeah, really cool. I mean, it's just a really cool game. It's really unique. Yes. It's one of those games that stands out. And so, you know, I just want to just talk about some of the things that really stood out to me in the episode. Of course, this game was influenced by The Legend of Zelda because all games all games are, are. influenced by The Legend of Zelda. What I think is cool about this is that this then turns around and influences The Legend of Zelda mm-hmm. in itself. And that, we can't say that many games did, um, no, which I think is what makes this game cool. You can see that direct that correlation to the final Ganon boss fight. Like, that yeah. very much gargantuan fighting on your horse, doing this, like, with your bow. Like, that is 100% the homage to Shadow of the Colossus right there is having this huge boss fight into this kind of like culmination of the hero succeeding. Now, obviously, Legend of Zelda brings us to us like, hey, we've saved the kingdom versus like, hey, we've doomed us all. Yeah. Well, spoilers, but you know, there's, there's consequences. There are. You know, there, there definitely, Tears of the Kingdom. There definitely are. There's consequences. But yeah, um, so, so I thought that that was really cool because I don't think too many games can turn around and, and do that for Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. But, but plenty of games that we cover, especially recently, look at Legend of Zelda and its game design as an influence. So that, w- that was really cool. And I, I think you see it beyond even that final boss fight. You see it even with the little fights where you like can climb on top of the rock monsters yep. and attack their special you know, rock weakness. And things like that, you know, that that just stand out. Um, also thought it was really interesting. I almost messed this up at the beginning of the episode, but Koji Kaido, uh, very similar name to Koji Kondo, longtime Nintendo mm-hmm. uh, composer. So, of course, it was meant to be. Of course. So I think this game, the story of Shadow of Colossus is attention to detail in yes. video games. And what can that do for you or against you? And what I think makes this process particularly unique is that it was not efficient at all. Mm-hmm. And as industries develop, you want more efficiency. You want to trend in that direction. Waste is bad. It makes sense. When you're starting out with a new idea, a fresh concept, a fresh industry, there's going to be those growing pains, right? So this is a game that comes out in the early 2000s with just a lot of waste, but a lot of belief that this guy can make a really great game. And so not only, I think, having that support 
um, from your financial backing to be able to do that mm-hmm. is really unique. But also having that internal self-awareness to say, hey, this original vision that we had for this game is just really not where it's going. So I know we've done a lot of work, but let's scrap it. Let's let's get rid of it and let's start working on this stuff again. And I think that that takes a really clear vision, which I think Ueda had and had to have for this game. And it's why he was so involved in everything. But just that intense vision and self-awareness is, is so unique to Shadow of the Colossus. It absolutely is. And, and, and going from like, hey, we got like 60 plus Colossi we want to put into this. Okay, let's half it. Okay, let's have it again. Like, and bringing it down to being like, hey, and, and admitting we lost sight of kind of what we needed to do with this, but let's get us back on track and let's make it like the most impactful game we can. And like, sure, you can comment like it's only six to eight hours, but it's six to eight hours of like a beautifully thought out thematic story. Even though we're not like quote unquote harping on a huge story in there, just this thing of like, the morality of like, hey, I took in this big colossus. Why do I not feel great? Like, why am I not like, yes, I did. And I feel more like I feel bad that I had to like end this creature's life to hopefully revive my sister. Like, is it worth ending these 12 creatures for one? And it is such a cool commentary on that overall as a story and just as like an insane gameplay. I mean, this is, again, PS2 era. Back then, the graphics to us were great. But, like, looking back, like, there's a lot of games that don't necessarily live up to that. And we've talked about Naughty Dog and plenty of others that tried to develop for the PS1, PS2, and just the, like, insane limitations and some, like, the really hard passes that (laughs) made it tough to develop for Sony. And... For them to maximize on that and maximize every chunk of it and like listen to that fan feedback of like "Mm, frames are pretty low and like collision detection kind of sucks to then rebuild like your collision detection and be like, hey, we're jumping this frame rate back up. We're going to make it work. I I think it's just such a testament to Team Eco doing this and building this up and then eventually getting Glass Guardian, which does take on a whole different idea but still builds on this beautiful way of like interacting with creatures and the environment around you, I think really stands a testament to the quality of the team and the quality of what people want to do with it. And I think that it really speaks to Oueda's ability to put his ego aside because there, there is obviously this pressure internally, right? That he's, he's sort of putting on his staff but he's also there if he's making them work longer, mm-hmm. like not leaving. When they're going and getting this poor feedback, he's not saying, no, my idea is the best, and I know it's the best, I know the vision, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Sure. He says, okay, well, let's, let's take that into consideration, rework that. Not so self-driven that he's not willing to do that, mm-hmm. except in like a very specific, I think, artistic case, where he starts to really push like a certain vision, and I think that is really the best way that a leader can utilize their time. So a a lot of, I think, respect for him in that regard and, you know, commendation he deserves for having that awareness. 
Exactly. It's it's not the like, hey, it's my road or like the high road. It's very much like, especially with, with the music sequence, where he's like, I want like a sad song after this, and the staff laughs, and he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand like what this means. Like, I, 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 I let me explain my vision better. And I think that's it. Yeah. It's not just like, you guys are all wrong. It's like, I need to explain this better to you and understand why we're doing this. And yeah. it's it's not this game of triumph. It's not this game of like destroying these creatures. It's like making a sacrifice for a sacrifice. And really, it's a moot point at the end. There's no one who truly wins from this. And like that, and and very much the cool kind of folklore with it. Of like, hey, it is this spirit in a way that is tricking me into releasing yeah. him, saying that like the sacrifice that is made for this, making me into a colossi, basically, like by the end of it. And and, and it's 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 such a cool way to do that. And yeah, like going back and being like, hey, you guys don't understand this music. Hey, we want to make sure this works creatively and 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 see my vision through. And I'm not just gonna make you work on it. I'm gonna work the long hours. I'm going to work on gameplay elements that need to be done because I'm in this with you and you guys are working along with me. It's, it's also just a, a very Japanese way of work too, but it yeah. still needs to be commended <laughs> for a leader to kind of be like, Hey, I'm not just fat catting it, taking a two hour lunch, leaving at three, you know, just get me a game done. It's like, I'm in this pit with you as well. Yeah. And I think that, one of the quotes that really stood out to me that I, I think is a, just another thing that's emblematic of that is to not sacrifice playability in pursuit of realism. Mm -hmm. Like taking that approach to making a video game, I think is just another great demonstration of that awareness because it's really frustrating in a video game where I felt like Red Dead Redemption 2 sort of sacrificed playability sometimes for the sake of realism. Sure. I'm going to do this very slow, painstaking motion where I'm unspooling this wire to plug it up to some dynamite, and it's going to look very real. He's going to take those slow steps. He's going to take his hand. He's going to mm -hmm. like slowly pull, un unwind it, you know, go down, get it all connected and plugged in. Does that really make it a better video game? Not necessarily. It just it made it look very realistic sure. in that sense. And so you have this game, obviously, we're talking a totally different level of realism back when this game comes out, but talking about that in terms of the horse maneuvering, in terms of aggro and saying, yeah, we want this to feel real, but also we don't want people to get frustrated when they're trying to move and they just can't mm -hmm. for some reason because of some underlying code that we have written here. I think that that's super important to remember that, yes, it is a big video game with a lot of vision behind it, but it's also a video game at the end of the day. Exactly. It's, it's, it's meant to be played. It's meant to be enjoyed and get it as close to real so you don't feel like this is just a full fantasy, couldn't ever happen type thing in terms of like having a human character and a horse, um, but still make it playable and fun. And, and that's, that's the big thing, making this game fun and making people want to play through your art piece and want to understand the art that goes into it and the beauty of it. But they can't be hindered by being like, oh, well, my horse, you know, it's galloped too much. It's done for the day. We're not going to fight a Colossus <laughs> right now because that dude's just taking a break. You know, it's, right. it's got to kind of have those, those, those 
different factors into it. So yeah, right. I, if you have not had a chance to play Shadow of the Colossus yet, it's wonderful. Again, it's six to eight hours, depending on how long you take with stuff. But it's not a it's not a it's not a huge time suck. It can definitely be like a weekend game. Um, it's it's fun. It's beautiful. It's it's well worth it if you got this if you got a a Sony product, a PlayStation, you can jump on there and 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 let me play through Eco as well. I mean, they're they're both fantastic games. I do believe it is part of the PS Plus if you have one of the subs mm, that. Mm-hmm. That lets you download some of the games for free. There's like one that does a game library, and then there's one that does like older games, like PS3, PS2 stuff. And I think that's the most expensive one. You don't have to go that far, but yeah, should be available. I think it's the the remake is actually available in that. Uh, but yeah, really, really great game. Really, I mean, nine out of ten. I think that those criticisms that we were reading toward the end are fair. But also, like, not too out there for games of that era where it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of battling the camera. You know, Super Mario 64, one of the best video games ever. You know, that was such a massive part of that game where it's like you're using C buttons to even control what you're seeing and trying to platform within that. I mean, if that game can get away with it, Shadow of the Colossus can get away with that, too. Absolutely. I have absolutely no issue with that. I am a little shocked. I, I don't understand Japan's markets at all, apparently, because buying this game at a 7-Eleven, uh, <laughs> that's the most foreign concept to me. Ever though it's like Slurpee of the Colossus. Listen, listen, we'll just have to do a new podcast where we go to Japan and we check out their 7-Elevens because they're the greatest 7-Elevens in the world. Apparently. You can basically, basically just live in one because they're fantastic. But I was also surprised to be like, oh, I guess you could just get that at your convenience shop because it is very convenient. It's just the exclusivity. That's what threw me. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not that you could get it at a 7-Eleven. It's that you could only get it at 7-Eleven. That's Exclusive something else. Exclusive deals, baby. Exclusive yeah. deals. 7-Eleven just <laughs> nailing down that exclusive artistic video game market. <laughs> and honestly, if I had to give it a rating too, I would actually give it an 11 out of 7. Wow. It's, it's much higher than that. The 7-11 out of 11 out of 7. I'd wow. also give it the... I mean, it, it is the, the pre-Elden Ring. It's the pre-all these games. Like, it's hard, it's hard to give it a silly rating. It's fun. It's, it's silly, but, like, really, it is the precursor to everything we're playing today. Like, if you look at what it is, it really is the precursor to, like, the 2020s games, the, the, the top of the charts. It's looking back to that. So I'm excited to see like what future games can take from that. I would love, love another like Shadow of the Colossus esque game where you are fighting these like big entities and bringing a multiplayer. I think it would be so cool. Monster Hunter gets kind of close ish to that. It's not even to the size of it. But like if you and I could jump on a game and like one of us jumps off a cliff face to, like the top of the Colossus while the other one like kind of like hoths it up and twists its yeah. feet or something. Yeah. Like it'd be pretty cool. That would be great. Sounds yeah, fun. So let's do it. Hopefully, hopefully we're seeing something like that in the future. But who knows? For sure. And you know, one last thing on this, just really cool that they put all that accessibility in in mind when they were making mm-hmm. this game. You're making a video game in an era where it's 
not necessarily a, a, a larger media vision in video games. So that could have gone very poorly to say we need to make this video game for gamers and non-gamers. And mm-hmm. we need to have them both in mind. Really fantastic. Yeah. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people, as well as the beautiful people over on our Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. This is where you can get some physical and digital rewards, as well as some game night action. Got a couple select members to thank today with Snide T-Bird, Nick Hyman, and Anthony Gooch. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter slash X or whatever it is. You can also find us on Discord. There's a link in the description below. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging down there all the time. We'd love to see you. You can also check us out on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please drop us a review. We love to hear from you, and it helps us out a lot. And with that, that has been our coverage of Shadow of the Classes. That has been the destruction of my throat and my voice, so thank you for getting through this with me. Mm. Um, but let us know, what other Titan-esque games should we cover? Are there more story-based things you'd like? This is the story. This is my story. This is beauty. Let us know. Hit us up in our socials and whatnot, and uh, we'll see if we'll add to the episode rotation. It's no um, Mr. Nuts in narrative, but... No Mr. Nuts in narrative, but hey, it's close. <laughs> As always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Wander the Wanderer. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Wander.